listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. It's pretty well accepted that grief affects us on many levels, if not all of them, and also that there's no timeline for grief. It changes, of course, but you get to take it with you in some form or another for the rest of your days. But one aspect of this never-ending ride that really doesn't get as many headlines is how grief can show up in all of our other relationships. This was and continues to be true for Daniel. Daniel was two days away from turning eight when his father died of cancer. Daniel knew this was a big deal, but he didn't really understand the enormity of it until he was older. As an eight-year-old, he saw other people having really big reactions, crying and yelling, and he tried to play along, thinking... That's apparently what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Grief looks different for everyone, and for Daniel, it looked like going from being a fearless and impulsive kid to one who was anxious and worried all the time. It also looked like graduating from high school and truly feeling who and what was missing. As he headed into young adulthood, it looked like having trouble trusting and relating to men, which, as a gay man, was kind of a tricky thing. Later on, it looked like a lightning bolt realization that while dating his now husband, Daniel was expecting him to be more paternal than partner. These days, grief looks like volunteering with kids the same age he was when his dad died and thinking, hmm, when is this really going to sink in for you? Daniel and I talk about all of this. And since it's June, which means it's pride season, we also talk about the parallels Daniel's experienced with coming out as gay and coming out as someone who has had a parent die. And yes, these are very different situations with extremely different potential dangers and consequences. But for Daniel, both left him bracing for other people's reactions and feeling othered. And it might be surprising, but thanks to the ongoing taboo around death, telling people he's had a parent die can sometimes be more awkward and challenging than telling them he's gay. Daniel, welcome to Grief Out Loud. Thank you for letting me corral you into having this conversation today. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. And listeners, something you don't know is that Daniel and I actually work together at Dougie Center, but we work in different buildings, so we barely know each other. So this is going to be our opportunity to get to know each other as well. Yeah, there's a whole patio between us. <laughs> Which in classic Dougie Center fashion is a patio filled with names of people who have died in remembrance. Correct. (laughs) So, Daniel, your dad died when you were eight. But what did you know and understand about him when you were a child? Yeah, He actually died. I was still technically seven. He died two days before my eighth birthday, which is always kind of a, a funny thing. Um, for me to think about, because I always, I often do that too. I'm just like, how old was I? Was I seven? Was I eight? Um, But I was, I was young. So yeah, I mean, what, when I think about that, that time of 
my life sort of zero to let's say seven before before he was sick and I sort of think about my dad most of my memories and understanding of him are from when he was ill those are really ingrained in 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 my mind I remember a lot of hospital visits I remember him being weak and I I remember the the kind of intensity of that time but I I have a lot of sparse memories from from before and mostly I remember him being incredibly kind and incredibly gentle uh, a fun person to be around I remember being very very excited every day when he would come home from work uh, I remember hearing the hear the garage door open and that that was the sign that dad was home from work and that was really a, a joyful time in the house and he would come in he would always hang out with me and my brother right when he got home from work so it was a it was a special time um which again in retrospect like now sort of being an adult and thinking about it you're really tired when you get home from work and i never felt that i never i never got the sense that that he was tired from the day or whatever it was just a fun it was fun times when he when he got home and that's that's mostly what i that's mostly what i remember so he's perpetually like fun, available dad in your memory. Yeah, very, very much. I also remember we had two cars and his was the one with air conditioning. And I remember that was very special. Um, <laughs> it, was always a, it was always a treat when we got to take dad's car anywhere because it had the AC. <laughs> what kind of car was it? It was a Honda. I'm not sure what model, but I remember he had a Honda and my mom drove, a, I think it was a Toyota station wagon. Hers did not have air conditioning. So as you grew older, as you are now an adult, what have you come to understand him from this vantage point? A lot of it tracks. Generally speaking, when someone shares stories about my dad with me, um, when they share memories um, or they're trying to let me know something about him, it's always from this sense of him being a truly wonderful person, someone who was generous and fun, uh, extremely kind, available for people, and and just a delight to be around. It's nice. It's nice for me to think like I have this memory of him from a child's point of view, and it seems as though that was fairly universal. That 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 most people had the same sense of him that I did, even though we were coming from greatly different ages. And one of the things that I've often reflect a lot, reflected on a lot is that he was, he and my mom were really, really progressive. Um, I was a, I was a kid who was very interested in what were sort of more traditionally feminine interests. Um, I was very into into the arts. I was very into music. Um, and that was really supported. They both really, really supported that. Um, one of my favorite stories uh, from from growing up, I kind of have recollections of this, but my mom remembers it, of course, very vividly. We were at Disneyland. We had we took a family trip to Disneyland. and we bumped into Cinderella. and we took some pictures with her. and uh, I actually remember her sort of being next to me and I looked at her and I said, Hey, can, can I, can I ask you something? And she said, yes. And I said, 
can I put on your dress? And I don't actually remember what she said. I, I, she said something back very supportive. Um, I remember that much. For neither one of my parents felt that that was a concern. There was no conversation about it. Really, even between the, I don't think that they talked about it afterwards. Um, and certainly no one made it seem like I shouldn't have asked that question. Really, I think that speaks, this was in the late 80s. And that really speaks to to them as parents of a kid who didn't seem to be fitting a mold. And so when I think about my dad in that context, I, I wish I had gotten to know him better because he sounds like a cool guy. So in a sense, there's alignment when other people talk about your dad with your experience of him. So there's some integrity there, but then it also brings up that deeper longing of, oh, if he really was the cool guy that I remember him to be, how cool would it have been to know him? longer. Absolutely. I I wish that I had known him as something other than just a child. I wish that I could have had adult conversations with him and experienced more than just like the the young child with a father relationship, but um you know when you when you kind of reach that point in life where you're almost more peers with with your parents. Yeah, that's a big a big part of what I what I wish and what I miss and what I'm sad about. Grieving for what you didn't get a chance to have. Yep. Looking back, what do you remember about how you as a child responded to like the news about your dad's diagnosis, his illness, and his death? I remember I remember being upset. I remember being being bothered knowing that he was ill. I don't i i definitely did not get the severity of it i didn't understand really how significant his illness was and i remember also thinking it was kind of fun um because our house was full of people all the time our house was full of family friends i got taken out a lot i'm i'm sure it happened really frequently that my mom would say hey can you can you take the kids? Can you take it, Daniel? Go go do something. Um, so I remember that. I remember Beauty and the Beast had had it was in theaters during that time, and I was taken to see that movie. I think like fifteen times because I I loved it. I thought it was a great movie, and um, and that was one of the things. If if people needed something to do with me, we would we would go see Beauty and the Beast. So in that sense, it's it's balanced with this sense of. Um, it was it was also kind of a fun a fun time for me, uh, and I think that that also speaks to this idea that I really didn't get it. Um, I was too young to fully understand uh, the significance of it, um, and I definitely didn't understand his diagnosis. He had a brain tumor; it was a glioblastoma. We were definitely told that he had a brain tumor um, and that he had cancer, and I didn't understand that those were two separate things. In fact, for years later, when someone would ask me how he died, I would, I would, I would say he had a brain tumor that became cancer, because I didn't get. It. I don't know at what age I finally realized <laughs> that they were the same thing, and I'm sure it was explained to me. I'm sure that it was nothing was hidden from me, but yeah, I was just I was young and I didn't I didn't quite get it, and I I vividly vividly remember when they told us that he was going to die and we were at home 
my mom and dad, uh, they called us into his room. He was in, he was in the bed. My mom was on the bed and he told us, he told us, I don't remember the exact words he used, but he told us that, that, um, the latest treatments had not been successful and that, that he wasn't going to make it. And I remember everyone in the room crying really hysterically. It was, it was, it was such an emotional moment and I didn't. I didn't cry at all. And I remember feeling like I should be crying. And so I pretended to cry and I, and I buried my face in the blankets and I, I'm pretty sure I like beat my fist on the bed. And I think I even said things, Oh no, no, no. But that was just because that's what everyone else was doing. And so I didn't, I didn't fully get it. I knew something, but I truly didn't get how big it was. Was there a moment or a time period where it did start to become more real for you? Not until adulthood. Not until adulthood. I changed a lot. Um, I changed a lot after he died. So there were, there were definite signs after he died that I had experienced a huge event and that I had changed as a person. But I didn't really feel that that sense of loss until I was an adult. Um, until there were, I think, sort of the first time that I really hit was, I think, at my high school graduation, where for me, it was just incredibly obvious that that someone was missing, that, um, you know, I was surrounded by my peers and their families. When I looked at my family, I saw a root that the the gap. I saw that something was missing, that someone was missing. And that has carried on well into my adulthood. Anytime that there's even a family dinner or a special event, that's really when I when I feel the loss. And that's that's when it hit me, really once I had entered adulthood. What's your sense, Daniel, of when you were a kid up until that moment at high school graduation when it really hit you was it an active process a passive process was there external buffers like do you have a sense of like what led to you not quite sensing the loss not really i think that i sensed the loss just not explicitly i went from being a really, really impulsive and fearless kid. In fact, that's what my, my dad was afraid of. When he when when my dad was worried about me, he was worried because I was super impulsive and super fearless. And he was worried for my physical safety that I was going to hurt myself. Um, those are not words that I would ever use to describe myself currently or when I think back about my childhood. And that that changed then. So I went from from being this this, you know headstrong, fearless kid to a kid who was really anxious and a kid who was really worried all the time. Um, so that was how I experienced the loss after he died. And it really wasn't, it was a gradual process for me into adulthood to then realize, oh, well, that's why. I mean, I experienced this big trauma and my life was turned upside down. That's what created all of these changes. And it was it was how I was experiencing the loss without explicitly being like, I am mourning for my father or I am in grief because my father has died. 
So there were a lot of changes, just not maybe a conscious through line to like the origin or the precipitation of those changes. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure everyone around me knew it. I just didn't know it myself. I think it was it was definitely clear to uh, the adults in my life that that's what was going on. But I didn't really make that connection. In fact, I think it was probably even told to me, like, you're, you're feeling this way because you lost your father. I didn't feel that. I didn't necessarily think that that was true. Now I do. But at the time, uh, it didn't, it wasn't that clear to me. You mentioned that your dad died just two days before you turned eight. And I'm curious how your dad's death has changed your relationship to your birthday. Forever changed, forever (laughs) changed. The two go hand in hand. Um, And it's been, it's been a struggle. I've never, I've never liked my birthday. I've never looked forward to my birthday. It's never something that uh, I get excited about. I, it's, it's not something I want to celebrate. And I think it's because I always knew that two days before my birthday, I was going to have to go through the remembrance of the day he died. And that's, it's almost like I kind of knew April 2nd was coming up. And so when, when April 2nd had finished and then April 4th was around the corner, I had like a day. You know, I had like, I had April 3rd to basically be like, okay, now I can think about my birthday. So I never wanted to make plans. I never, I never wanted to think of gifts that I wanted for myself. I I really, you know, if I could have gone without celebrating my birthday, I would have. Um, A lot of times I did it just because I felt like I was supposed to. And just recently, uh, I, I decided because of this, because I really just didn't, I never liked this. I never liked that these, these two events went so hand in hand and that kind of because of their closeness, I couldn't, I wasn't able to give either of them the thought that they really warranted. Um, I decided to change the day that I celebrate my birthday. And so I now, I celebrate my birthday in May because I was, I was born six weeks early I decided, you know what, I'm just going to take my original due date, uh, which was May 10th. And I'm like, okay, May 10th is going to be my birthday. It's been a tremendous help for me. And it's sort of rekindled this idea of like, okay, yeah, I, I I can look forward to my birthday and I can acknowledge my dad's death day without thinking, okay, well, my birthday is around the corner too. Um, and it's been it's been kind of a a bumpy journey, but a good journey too, and really a good change. You know, we often talk about how grief impacts everything in our lives, um, but in particular relationships. And just wondering how, what role has grief played in shaping your relationships? So I think about the kind of two kinds of relationships that I have. And I have my everyday interpersonal relationships, my friendships, and then I have my romantic relationships. Interpersonally and with my friendships, um, really since my dad died, I have had a very difficult time and a general mistrust of men. Uh, My closest friends uh, have always been women. And that changed after my dad died. When I was when I was young, when I was before he died, 
I I was one of the boys. I was I was very all of my good friends uh, growing up were all boys. I was friends with girls, but um, my my best friends were all were all definitely boys. After he died, that was when I think that big shift changed. And I just even now in my day to day life, I really have a difficult time connecting with with men, feeling authentic around men, feeling like I can be myself. Um, and and feeling trustworthy and i've i've often tried to kind of do a deep dive into this and try to figure out why uh why that might be um the closest i've come to to it is is that i think that it's really common for parents to tell their kids um i'll always be there for you i will i'll always be around and i and i'm sure that my dad at one point said something like that to me that i internalized and then he died and he was no longer there. And I I think it's possible that that I just somehow really held on to that, um, which then led to me having this difficulty connecting and feeling safe and secure around men, um, which has been a fascinating thing for me as a gay man because I'm attracted to that gender. And it's absolutely then influenced my romantic relationships. I do think that unconsciously in in my in my relationships, I have sometimes tried to kind of fill that missing gap. Um, I didn't realize it until until kind of later in life. But when I think back about how I was, particularly in my my first few relationships, um, and kind of the disappointments that I had, the struggles that I had, I, I do think that elements of that uh, of that loss were kind of seeping in there. Um, and I specifically remember when I was dating my my now husband, um, and in the beginning of our relationship, and I was sort of going through that same thing. I was I was feeling like he wasn't doing certain things, uh, or that he wasn't saying certain things, or that in certain situations he was acting differently than I would have liked. And I realized that it's because he was not doing fatherly things. And that was that connection. And I remember once I made that realization, I, I I kind of had a little light bulb moment. And I was like, wait a minute, Daniel, you're looking for a partner. You're not looking for a father. And that was a huge moment for me. And it was unexpected. And another way that that this huge event, this, this life-changing thing that happened when I was a kid just really influenced and continues to to influence my my life. I keep thinking about what you said of like having that light bulb moment of like, oh, I'm expecting, you know, this guy to do fatherly things mm-hmm. or say fatherly things. Is there an example of something like that? I wish I could. I wish I could remember specifically what it was that that led me to that realization and I just don't I've been racking my brain trying to trying to think what it was but I do know that that was that was the connection a, a lot of my my sense of worry in the relationship a lot of my sense of of disappointment um was coming from whatever I was looking for on a more sort of paternalistic level instead of a separate independent 
partner. Are there ways in which that, um, I think you talked about that idea of, it's hard to trust men because my dad disappeared. Is there, I mean, he died, but as an eight-year-old, it's basically somebody disappears from your life. And are there ways in which that fear or that vigilance that like your husband could disappear or someone else in your life could disappear, continue to play out? 100%. I live my life expecting a worst case scenario. Very, very much. And that can be as as small as, you know, I'm I'm getting in the car to run to Trader Joe's. I could get in a horrible accident. Um, two, anyone could die at any moment. Um, I And I think that kind of as we get older, I think it's more common for uh, those kind of thoughts to to seep in, even if you haven't had a, a death experience in your life. But that's always been there for me. I've always been I've always been afraid that someone close to me was going to die at any given moment. I mean, I remember being a kid once, um, this was after my dad died, I think relatively soon after he died. And uh, I was at school and on the playground, there was a big uh, a big crowd of of kids running to one end of the playground. And I heard people talking about a fire. And so I sort of followed them and I was very, very scared. Sure enough, like off, we were all kind of at the edge of the school and way, way, way off in the distance, there was this like tiny little plume of smoke coming up. And most kids were really excited. They were looking at it. They were fascinated by it. I was absolutely terrified. I was absolutely terrified that that fire was somehow going to reach us at the school, that that we were going to have to evacuate. And I called my mom. I went to, I ran to the office and I called my mom, told her what was going on and asked if she would come. And she, she came, she came and she spent the rest of the day in, in, in class with me. And I think I'm pretty sure I was in third grade when that happened. So it was probably still within the first year after he died. And that was, yeah, it was just that worst case scenario, something awful is going to happen mindset. Has your husband had to adapt in terms of how he communicates his comings and his goings to you? Um, he's had to adapt to a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I mean, I think that, uh, We've always, even this aside, we've always been pretty good about checking in with each other when when we arrive or are departing someplace. So fortunately, I think that was already kind of a a given. We didn't have to make any changes there. Um, but he is fully aware. He's aware that that's where my mind goes, and is often sort of the balance to that. I will I will often, if something is going on, I will flat out ask. I will explain it to him and I'll flat out ask, is is this a real concern or is this me really thinking that something awful is going to happen? And almost always it's me kind of expecting the worst. And then of course my mind goes into the, okay, well, that's great to know what happens when you die. And I don't have that balance anymore. Um, Who am I going to ask? So it's, you know, it's just... It's the aftermath of, <laughs> of experiencing a death. I love the idea of having an in-home fact checker. I would yeah, like to rent very much. him. <laughs> very much. And he's lovely. I mean, he's so level-headed and is much more he's much more prone to a balanced approach to, to most things. So I, I do rely on that a lot. <laughs> it's uh it it definitely helps keep me 
keep me level too. You, you've talked about how coming out as a gay man has parallels to kind of coming out as someone who's grieving. Can you say a little more about that? Yeah, I thought about this quite a lot because I I only just made this connection really recently um, because they're very different. They're very, very different in scope, but they are they are both ways that identify you as an other. In in both situations, I found that I didn't know how the other person was going to respond when I told them. I didn't know if they were going to say the right thing back to me or if they even knew what to say back to me um, for either of those situations. And I think that that death, just like coming out, is it's kind of a taboo subject. It's not it's not necessarily something that's at the forefront of conversations. And so there are just there are a lot of parallels there. Um, I remember, even still currently, but growing up a lot, um, if I would meet someone new, uh, they would say, oh, are your parents still together? I I remember being like, well, n- no, but not for the reason that you think. A lot of times when I would be like, oh, well, you know, actually my, my dad died when I was really young. And and seeing the kind of surprise on uh, on the other person's face which then led myself to often uh, just not want to have that conversation. If it, if it came up or even now in, in my adult life, they'll be, Oh, where do your parents live? And a lot of times I'll just lie about it. Um, if I don't really feel like getting into the the truth of it, I'll be like, Oh yeah, they live in Portland instead of really getting into it. And that was, you know, it was kind of similar when I, before I came out, when people would ask, Oh, do you have a girlfriend? I would say no, or I would, you know, or if they asked me, you know, what, what actresses do you think are hot? I would just make something up because that was easier than explaining it um, or getting into it or, or going into that vulnerable state. And I surprisingly also had in both situations, when I came out as gay and when I shared that my father was dead, I've had people say, I don't believe you, which this was when I was a, like when I was a, a teenager, mostly. But yeah, I did. I got that response. I found my reaction to both of those, even though they're wildly different things, um, kind of what went on in me internally to be very similar. What do you say when someone says, I don't believe you to either one of those? I mean, I said I was I'm pretty sure I was like, why? Why don't why don't you believe me? And generally the response back was, I just don't believe you. And I was like. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> I can't. I, I can't do this work for you. <laughs> I didn't need any more clear messaging about where this conversation is going, which is nowhere. Yeah. Is there been like a ratio in terms of who responds better, like the people that you've come out to as gay, or the people that you've come out to as having your dad die when you were eight? Do people tend to do better in one of those conversations than the other? I mean. They probably at this point do better with with me acknowledging that I'm gay. I don't think it's ever really a surprise to people that I'm gay. So, and now, I mean, I I did my coming out as I came out when I was 14, and I did the bulk of my of my like traditional coming out 
um, really in that sort of finite period. And after that, I just kind of lived my truth. Like I, I didn't, if someone asked me, I would be honest. Um, but I, I didn't hide anything. I didn't make it seem like I, what I, that I wasn't. And so now, I mean, as, as queer people, we, we come out on a fairly daily basis. Like you meet someone new and I, and I, and I mentioned my husband that's coming out and I, and I don't really know how that other person is going to respond. Um, most likely I've always found myself in pretty positive spaces. So, you know, it's rare that I'm going to have a, a poor reaction to that with sharing that my father is dead. It's more awkward, especially as an adult, and I'm more prone to get uh, just kind of a confused, like, oh, oh, wow. And a lot of times that just kind of, that just kind of, it it, it ends there. And I think it's because it's, death is still kind of a taboo subject. So people don't know what to say. They don't know what kind of follow-up questions to ask to that, um, even if they're curious. Because I think we're, we're kind of programmed not to, that it's a, that, that death is a private thing. Um, that it's rude to ask questions, which I would, I mean, if someone then asked, oh, how did he die? I would be completely fine answering that. But I think a lot of, uh, a, a lot of us are not comfortable asking that. Daniel, do you, do you have a sense if any of like how you're, cause you said you came out pretty much to most folks when you were 14, mm-hmm. how your dad being alive may have shifted or changed that in some way? The main thing that I wonder, I don't really wonder about how he would have reacted. Um, just given everything that I know about the man, I, I am 100% sure that he would have been phenomenally supportive of of me. I I often wonder how my own realization and then coming out journey would have been different if it would have been faster if it would have been slower, um, if it would have been easier or harder. I, I, it's kind of, I think about, the, the, it's, it's sort of a big, a big component of, of my life was missing um, that could have impacted that whole process for me. And so that's, that's kind of what I, what I think about. Um, in terms of my overall identity as a gay man, I don't, necessarily think it of it having a huge impact other than like I talked about before my relationships um, and kind of how the the loss impacted my relationships but in terms of my overall identity it it doesn't really factor in as much as it might seem so prior to coming to Dougie Center as an employee you started out with the organization as a volunteer facilitator working directly in a group for younger kids, four to eight years old. So kids who are around the same age you were when your dad died. And I just wonder, like, being in the room with those kids and listening to them tell their stories and watching them play out their grief. What did you learn about eight year old Daniel? It was wild. And I think very poetic that that was the group I was placed in. Because it was me. I mean, I was I was essentially looking at myself, which was a a surreal thing to happen. What really struck me the most was how vastly different everyone experiences their grief. I imagine 
that if I had been an eight-year-old coming to Dougie Center, it would have been laytime for me. It would have been a fun place for me to go. I would have been one of the kids who was full of energy and and having and having fun. But I certainly saw kids in my group who were much more outwardly sad, who were having a harder time, who were less likely to share, less likely to open up. So I think that's that's really what it taught me about about grief in general and and kind of my own grief in the sense that you can't necessarily pick out the kids who are grieving. And I think that that's when I think about myself as a kid, I don't think that I would have been picked out as as a kid who had experienced a tremendous loss or actively was actively grieving. But that there is no sort of one size fits all for for grief. And it was it was difficult. It was I think the hardest thing for me really as a facilitator with that age group was I I have a sense of what's coming for those kids. I have a sense of sort of broadly speaking what their journey might look like if it's if I take my experience there there are certain paths that paths that those kids could could go on um that would parallel my own. And so I thought about that a lot. It was an interesting it was an interesting thing and there were many many times where I just sort of had to come back into the present, check myself because they were they're they're me. So you you, got, you find yourself forecasting for them of the day they graduate high school or the day that they have this significant event happen of what it's going to be like for them. Yes. And all that in the context of realizing that grief is an individualized journey. And so there's no, it's not like that's going to happen to them. Um, but I I definitely went down that sort of what if or or this, you know, at what at what point are are you really going to realize the significance of this? Because I'm not sure that you get it now, just as I didn't get it when I was that age. Yeah, that they can get it as eight year olds, and then eventually they're going to get it at sixteen year olds, and get it again as twenty five year olds, and what that looks like will be different for each of them because we're all different at those different ages. Yeah. So what else? What else do you want us to know about your experiences, Daniel, the eight year old? Well. Almost eight, seven and 363 day year old Daniel, whose dad died of cancer. Daniel is an adult. Like, what else do you want us to know? I think the main the the main thing that I hope to share with people, um, which I already sort of touched upon, is that it's a it is truly a never ending process. Um, that grief doesn't just go away. I mean, we talk about this a lot uh, at Dougie Center. This idea that you know we have we live in this in this culture that really wants us to sort of grieve and then get over it. And I've really felt that much more recently in in life. This idea that that you know it really just ever it doesn't ever go away. And I was thinking, um, I mean, even yesterday I was. I was reflecting on there were there were a few people in my life who really became father figures after my dad died who sort of stepped in to to that role and that brought up a whole lot of emotion thinking about all of it about me as a kid about me as an adult about them as an adult uh realizing that there was this need and all of that and it just it made me really emotional 
which just hits home this idea that it is a never ending process. And I, and I, I want anyone who's grieving to be okay in that space. It comes and it goes and you have ups and you have downs. And there are so many different ways that grief is expressed and that it's all, it's all valid. It's all valid. Um, and, and you don't need to explain what you're feeling. You don't need to, you need to have sort of ownership of making other people understand um, what you're going through because it never ends and it changes and it's uh, it is truly, it's a journey. Well, Daniel, now I feel like we should change the podcast name from Grief Out Loud to Grief Never Ends. But <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really lovely to get to know you more since we see each other, but we haven't actually had an in-depth conversation about all the things that matter most. So yeah, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you. It's been a beautiful experience. And uh, I'm, I'm just so, I'm so happy that we had this opportunity. And listeners out there, I know you know this. Thank you for being part of our community, for tuning into the show, for sharing episodes with people who might be helped in some way by what we're talking about here. Uh, reach out to me if you want to. My email is griefoutloud at dougie.org. I really love to hear from people about how the show is impacting you. And our website is also dougie.org. So it's D-O-U-G-Y dot And that is a great place to find information about our local programming, programs that we're aware of around the country and the world that are similar to ours, all the past episodes of Grief Out Loud, and all of our free downloadable resources. Uh, I'm excited as always to share that our podcast is sponsored in part by the Chester Stephan Endowment Fund. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time. <laughs>